chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, and you may also put a finger in Luke chapter 13. The, the title this evening is very simply, uh, go back and say thank you. We, we want to look at these lepers in Luke 17, third book of the New Testament, verse 11 through 19. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Luke seventeen fourteen. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now if you'll go with me to Leviticus in the Old Testament there, the third book of the Old Testament, chapter 13. Just a few scriptures I'd like to read for background and for context. Leviticus 13, verse number 9. But when the plague of leprosy is in a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall see him, and behold, if the rising be white in the skin... And it have turned the hair white, and there be the quick, raw flesh in the rising. It is an old leprosy in the skin of his flesh, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if leprosy break out abroad in the skin, and leprosy cover all the skin of him that has the plague in his head, even to his foot, wheresoever the priest looketh, the priest shall consider, and behold, if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that hath the plague. It is all turned white, he is clean. Now, let's come down to verse 44, 45, and 46. Uh, notice the, the, the language in these verses here, 44, 45, and 46, he is a leprous man, he is unclean, the priest shall announce him utterly unclean, his plague is in his head. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone, outside the camp shall his habitation be. Now, these are interesting verses when you consider how the Lord treated sickness and disease in ancient times. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody with leprosy before, but it's not a pretty disease. Leprosy is one of those kinds of diseases that slowly eats away at the skin and certain appendages on the, the body, when they begin to fall off, there's not even a whole lot of blood because at the same time that leprosy is eating away at the skin, then it, it, that, that, the, the wound there is solidifying itself so that it's not leaking blood. So this is why 
with the leper colonies around the world and even in the south when we used to have leprosariums and things like that you'd have a person go to sleep and wake up and there might be a finger left on the bed and there'd be no bloodshed and if you've seen pictures of those who have had these going on over in Pakistan, Bangladesh, parts of Africa, then you understand how a person would be missing an entire ear and just have a hole in the side or missing a nose and just have the two holes going in. Leprosy is one of those diseases that, as you can see here, the, the, the Lord wanted the children of Israel to have them outside of the camp. The scripture uses the word unclean in verse 45. Uh, they essentially had to shed themselves of all the clothing that they wore. And wherever they went, they had to shout unclean. Sort of an announcement to let people know they were coming in your direction. And you can imagine what would happen. People would hear that, then they go to the other side of the road, or they move to another part of the village. But as this states in verse 46 in the last sentence, their habitation, as long as they had this, was to be far and away from people. So that kind of isolation, imagine if you were dealing with that and you were alone, you certainly would not be a happy camper, be a depressed situation. Imagine if you were with several other people who had the same condition that you had, but the law regulated you in such a way that you were isolated from people. So one sick person looking at another sick person who looking at sick people all day long. It's a it's a bad, bad circumstance. Now, let's come back over here to Luke chapter 17. That is a little bit of background to understand some of the things that are occurring here. Jesus has been teaching them in this chapter, in the beginning part, that offenses will come. It's impossible for you to live in this world without offending someone or without becoming offended. Now, the scripture does say if you walk in love, you will not stumble. But you can do everything you can to walk in love and say the most positive things and try to be non-judgmental and talking to people. But you still will offend someone because there will inevitably be a person who's upset with you because you go out of your way not to issue a judgment. And your language is vague and your language is ambiguous. Just like you offend people if you speak your mind and you tell them exactly what you think. So you're not going to get away from it. That's, that's what the Lord was trying to tell us here in the early part of the chapter. Well, the apostles had asked the question or made the statement, Lord, could you increase our faith? And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, then you'd be able to do great and mighty things. Well, that is the background leads us into this trip where he's making his way. As you can see, he's going up to Jerusalem and he has to go through Samaria and Galilee. Samaria was not a place that was terribly friendly to Jews. And the reason for that is the Samaritan people only accepted the first five books of the Bible as inspired and holy. So that'd be Genesis through Deuteronomy. The traditional Jews accepted Genesis through Malachi as well as the teachings of the rabbis which Matthew records with the language, the traditions of the elders. So the Pharisees, the scribes and people like that, they believe the tra traditions of the elders were as inspired as scripture. 
That's why Jesus said you go out of your way to maintain these traditions, but the word of God you essentially set aside. The Samaritans weren't like that. They lived on Mount Gerizim, or excuse me, Mount Nablus, and they believed that that is where the holy place of God was. They don't believe the true temple mount was in Jerusalem. They believed it was in Samaria on Nablus. And even today, if you go to Israel, there is still a small community of Samaritans there. I've been there on a number of occasions and be, there's only maybe about 300 of them left in the world maybe about 180 of them right up there in that particular area but because of intermarriage they, they've got these bright flaming orange beards but they guard and they preserve their traditions fiercely they believe in what they believe so when jesus is coming through this area you, you, you understand that the relations weren't the best. In fact, there's the there's the story where they wanted to pass through Samaria. The people in Samaria said no. And you remember James and John wanted to call down fire and bar- barbecue the whole city. They said, said, Lord, just let us. We'd, we'll handle this. We'll make sure these people know exactly what kind of God you are. <laughs> God said, you don't. The Lord said, you don't know what's what manner of spirit you're up because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to kill people like that. And and then here in verse 11, he, he says <clears throat> that they're passing through the midst of that place. Now, I want to emphasize as I go into verse 12, you may be called to go into dangerous territory like Samaria. Galilee was much more hospitable to him because that's where he was raised in Nazareth. And then he moved on along the area of Sea of Galilee. But in your relationship with God, you've got to be willing to go wherever he leads you. In friendly places and in hostile places, you will work with people that are friendly towards you and you will be around people who are not friendly towards you. You have neighbors that you look to one side and you're like, oh, I'm so glad those folks are next door to me. It's a blessing having them nearby. And then you look over here and then there'll be some Samaritans. You say, I wish they would put a for sale sign in front of that house and move. So through the years, you always have these different relationships and they vary. In verse 12, he entered into that a certain village and 10 lepers stood afar off. Now, we've read in Leviticus 13 why they would be standing afar off is because they were considered unclean. And this is why they weren't inside the precincts of the village. They stood afar off from where the Lord was and they were just trying to get his attention. Now, they would not have been there if they didn't know the Lord was passing by. So obviously, Jesus had the kind of reputation that kind of went before him and people heard he was coming and they thought, well, I think this this might be our opportunity. If this man does what they say he can do, maybe we should get out there. Even if we can't get close to him, maybe there'll be enough of the blessing that will be able to help us. And we can learn something here. And that is, regardless of your condition, physically or spiritual, The answer is always going to be found in Christ. Scripture says, draw nigh unto him, he'll draw nigh unto you. There are people who stand afar off and they are not interested in the Lord at all. But as you can see in this instance, they're standing afar off and they've got their eyes on them. The book of Ephesians says before we came to Christ, we were all separated from God, alienated from the life of God. But it says by the blood of Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are now made nigh by the blood. 
The blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. The peace treaty was signed with his blood through his death. Our faith in that death unites us with him. That's reconciliation. And because of that reconciliation, he deals with our sin. He deals with our frailties. He deals with our pride. These leprous people were sad, sorrowful, and sick. In verse 13, they lifted up their voices and said, have mercy on us. I'm not going to to lie if, if I had the kind of affliction they had and everybody wanted me to stay away from them and didn't want me around them and the only pronouncement I could make upon my own life was that I was unclean, unclean, unclean and somebody like him came along, I would be quite pleased to scream out and shout, Lord, have mercy on me. Which gives us a beautiful illustration in that healing and mercy go together. Healing and mercy. When God healed someone in scripture, it was a manifestation of his mercy. That's what it was. His compassion, his long suffering. Why does he do that? I don't know. But he loves people. He made us. He cares about us. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about me. In the beginning, he made us and he said it was good. But I don't think God anywhere in scripture ever looked at leprosy and called it good. In the beginning, all he made, he said, this is good. This is good. So we have a beautiful, a beautiful picture here of voices being lifted in unison. And I doubt they were all saying the same thing at the same time. However, can you imagine all those voices, 10 lepers screaming at the top of their lungs? Yeah, sounded good. Now, at the graduation over the past weekend, you if, if you went, you probably heard those uh, those kids singing about how when they leave the rural area and they go to the city, they're not going to let the city change them. Uh, I'd never heard a song like that. I thought that was interesting. They said they're, they're not going <laughs> to let the city change them at all. But but they were all standing together and they were all in unison. Some were expressive in their countenance. Others of them were not, but they had harmony. That's what I'm getting at. But But usually when you're dealing with people that have pain, you're dealing with discord. Because it's hard to get people to settle down when they have pain. And if you've ever been in pain in your life, you know it's not easy to settle down. It's easy to cry out. It's easy to pray. It's easy to, to call somebody and say, please lift me up in prayer or call and make a doctor's appointment or reach for some kind of med- medication. But when you're you're in pain, pain always is an indicator that something is out of order. But depending on the kind of disorder there is in your body, that's going to determine how loud you cry. I guarantee it. You ever been using a hammer and then hit your hit your thumb or your finger? Yeah. Most people, when they do that, they usually don't yell, Jesus, have mercy. Okay, but that would be a good phrase to yell. Okay, that would be a good phrase. Jesus, master, have mercy. The acknowledgement of who Christ is. He's the master. We should be submitted to him. Mercy is something that is within his ability to give to us. Have mercy on us. A person can't give you something they don't possess. But God possesses a lot of mercy and he can certainly give it to you. When he saw them, how did they get his attention? They cried out to him. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves unto the priests. 
Why the priest? I mean, they didn't go to the priest for healing. They came to Jesus, even though Hebrews says he's the high priest and the great apostle of our profession. So in that sense, they came to a priest. But they didn't come to somebody that was working in the temple that was doing everything he could to offer up animal sacrifices and things like that. Part of the the ritual for the cleansing of the uh, of the leper and then afterwards the ritual of the pronouncement of him being clean was that they had to take two birds. One bird was to be killed. The blood would be collected in a bowl. The second bird, they would hold it, take the tail feathers, dip it in the blood, then set that bird free. And that bird would fly away with everything that was supposed to be a representation of all of that leprosy that had been in that person's body. And this other one would have been sacrificed. See, sacrificed as a sin offering for that person's iniquity and sin in that ritual. Jesus says to these lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. The Lord wants the priest to be able to acknowledge that something supernatural has occurred here. They healed. Uh, I doubt if the priests who primarily were Sadducees in alignment with the, the Roman leaders, I doubt if they even would have understood how these folks were healed. But Jesus said, go anyhow. Sometimes the unbelievers are the ones that need to hear and see the testimony of the changed life. Now, according to the New Testament, the book of Acts, the the Sadducees didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in a resurrection. So the whole point of it is to demonstrate that Sadducean people didn't believe in supernatural events and acts. So here we have one. Ten lepers, their leprosy disappears and the Lord has told them to go show themselves to the priest. Now, they're headed to the priest before they're even healed in obedience to the Lord. And it says, and it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed in obedience to the word of the Lord. They were changed. This is usually how change comes to all of us. We'll start with the with the spiritual. A person is sitting in sin. They don't know God. They're separated from God. They're doing their own thing. They don't care anything about the Bible, about church or about religion. They hear the gospel. And hearing the gospel, they realize as the spirit of God convicts them of their sin, that they're separated from God. That they realize for the first time in their life that that they really are alienated from the life of God, that they're not in the kingdom of God, that they're perishing every day in their sins. But they learn in that same message. I can repent. I can turn my life around. So because of the sorrow and the remorse that comes with acknowledging that sin is inside of me, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and I've done everything I could to try to get myself a clean conscience and it's never worked. I finally have found out that the blood of Jesus is able to help me. So I repent. I believe. And the scripture makes it very plain in Ephesians chapter one, having heard, then having believed then you're sealed by the spirit regeneration to come. It comes a life has changed because they have now believed. So a life that at one time was set on the course of destruction and hell has now been changed 180 degrees. They're going upwards because they've been obedient to God's word. So by being obedient to God's word, that person was cleansed. 
I, I heard a missionary one time who had a big church in the Philippines, a gentleman named Lester Summerall. He was telling about in his church how a man came and he had leprosy. Now, this would have been in the 50s. The uh, Bethel Temple Church had 3,000 people then. And a man came into the church with leprosy and nobody would sit anywhere near him. I mean, he came and sat down on a on a, a, a uh, some chairs. And according to the, the pastor's testimony, he said the whole area of Filipinos just cleared out. Everybody just went and moved somewhere else in the church. They're terrified that they were going to get leprosy. When Dr. Summerall saw that, he went to the, the leper after the service and he, he said, look, now next Sunday when you come, uh, I'll be right here to greet you. He said, don't you let what everybody else did keep you from coming out here to church. You need to be here to hear God's word. So the next Sunday he came, Dr. Summerall uh, grabbed the leper, escorted him right down the center aisle, put him on the front row and said, you just sit right here and don't move. And he said the, the lepers, uh, he, he had... Um, Ears that just were elongated and, and his facial fuck, uh, structures, uh, facial features were, were just kind of going in the wrong direction and things like that. And he said his, his hands and everything were all all messed up and, and gnarled and everything like that. But but he told that man, he said, you just sit right here and listen to the Bible as it's taught. Over uh, several months, I say four or five, just sitting there Sunday after Sunday, in the, even in the midweek service, listening to the word of God taught. And Lester Summerall wasn't just teaching on healing. He's just teaching scripture, just teaching on different things. But by the end of four or five months, they noticed that this man who was a leper, his ears were kind of withdrawing, going back to normal. Six months later, he was totally healed just from listening to the word. In obedience to the word, these lepers were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. You'll never know what God will do until you believe God's word and you make sure your behavior and your belief correspond. See, it's, it's never just simply saying with, with your lips, I believe, but it's with your life demonstrating what you believe. If you believe fellowship is good, then the scripture says, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is so much the more as we see the day approaching. That means when the doors of the church are open, I'm ready to fellowship because I believe as a Christian, that's what I'm supposed to do. So you put faith and behavior together. Let's look some more. Verse 15. One of them, however, when he saw he was made whole, he went back and with a loud voice glorified God. Now, all 10 of them were healed. I'm sure all 10 of them were happy. And maybe the other nine thought, well, look, I mean, I'd like to go back and say hello to Jesus, but I have just got healed. I've been separated from my family for a lot of years. I want to go to that priest and do all these rituals and sacrifices I need to do so I can get back home and hold my baby. And I want to hold my children. See, that, that could have very well been it. But we have this illustration of this one person. He looked and saw that he was healed. He acknowledged something has happened to me. And no matter what other obligations he thought he could have had, he turned back because he wanted to go say thank you. Now, that's the key. 
If God does something for you, don't ever put anything before the Lord that blessed you, but turn around and return thanks unto him. And how many of us go day after day without ever doing that? We get up in the morning, too busy to do devotions, read the scripture. We go throughout the day, one blessing after another comes, a promotion on the job or anything like that, or just something good happens to us. But rather than us maybe stealing away into the corner of a cafeteria or into a, a room somewhere where we have a few moments along with God and just say, Father, I thank you. We just carry on like nothing happened. Then at the end of the day, we do the same thing. We put our head on the pillow. We might read the newspaper, may watch a few things on television without ever saying, Father, thank you for bringing me through another day. When there are a lot of people went to bed last night and didn't wake up this morning. Yeah. So if you've got your health, you're able to see, hear, smell, touch, feel. Whenever you think about this one that turned around and went back, you should be the same way to turn away from the crowd of other people that are blessed and sometimes on your own without them even participating. You just return thanks to God. You can do it in a restaurant. You know, there, there are people who pray in a restaurant and they pray openly and they pray loudly. But then there are other people who pray quietly or they do it real fast. They don't want anybody to know. You, you've seen the people that when they're... They, Food is there and they're getting ready to sit down. They're praying as they sit down so nobody knows Father bless this food in Jesus' name. And so then they can just, they can just dig right in. But, but we, don't, we don't want to be ashamed of what God has done for us. If the Lord has opened up heaven for us and blessed us, tell God thank you. It's important. A preacher one time was in a restaurant in, in Australia and he noticed as, as he... Was sitting there with uh, the host pastor, he looked around and said, nobody in there. It looked like they were giving thanks to God for their food, all this stuff was going on. That preacher, he, he stood up, took a spoon, took a glass, and started banging that glass and said, everybody, I want you to know we're going to have a word of prayer. I've been observing you for about six or seven minutes, and not one of you in here said thank you or said grace. You, you act like a bunch of hogs. That's what he said. That's what the preacher said. You act like a bunch of hogs. Bow your head. And, and amazingly, they bowed their head. <laughs> and he went on and prayed and then afterwards said amen. And, and, and uh, when he was done, he was able to lead a couple of people to Christ. You never know what will happen if you return thanks to the Lord and you're not ashamed of doing it. Uh, don't be like the people who only want to hold God as a private party in their heart. Make it public. People need to know. Glorify God. So he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet and he began to give him thanks. This was a physical prostration. He humbled himself. He was not embarrassed by what had happened. Mercy, he had been a leper for who knows how long. I wouldn't have been afraid to throw myself at his feet either. I would have fell right down there and said, Father, thank you for what you have done for me. It truly is a blessing. But do you kneel down at your bed before you climb in it at night? If you can still get down on your knees eh? and, and say, Father, thank you for how you have generously enriched my life and done so much for me. 
And I love the way they add that final part in verse 16 that says he was a Samaritan. And the reason they put that in there is because Samaritans and Jews didn't always have the best relations. And we know that from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was talking about being neighborly. One of the Jewish people trying to get the best of Jesus said, well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus could have gave him an easy answer, but no, he gave him a story, a parable. And he, he didn't just give him a straight out answer. He put the answer on a dangerous road that descended from Jerusalem and Jericho. And when he was done with that story, then the people realized that the Samaritan was the nicest of all of them. Not the priest, not the Pharisee or anybody like that, but the Samaritan. And when they heard that, Jesus said, which one do you think was neighborly? They said the Samaritan. Jesus said, go and be like him. Oh, they were offended. How dare you tell us to act like an unclean Samaritan? See? Now, we think like that. All of us have, um, I, I don't want to call them. I don't want to call them prejudices, but we but we do have inside of us images that certainly are stereotypes. There's no doubt about that. And the reason I know that is because if if my wife and I are driving long distance going on a trip and then it's time to get some gas and then we pull off the exit. And if it you know, if it it happens to look like it's not a, a not so nice area, then we just roll right back up on that next exit and keep on going down the highway. Because in, in my mind, I'm, I'm looking for gas, not robbery. See? OK, so so we all have images in, in our mind when it comes to 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 certain things. And those aren't sinful. Those aren't wrong. The, the only time it becomes a problem is when you allow the stereotype to be superimposed upon an entire community so that all of your relationships are based on that stereotype. That's what we had here. These folks didn't didn't necessarily like Samaritans in Jesus time. But Jesus says in verse 17, <clears throat> weren't there 10 of you? Where are the other nine? And he said, you mean to tell me there's only found one person to come and give glory to God? And Jesus used, uses the word, this stranger. Samaritan, this stranger. And the reason he was considered a stranger wasn't just in the sense that Jesus did not know who he was, but in the sense that he was a stranger to the covenant of God, the Jewish word. This stranger. If a stranger could return thanks to God, then other people ought to go back and say thank you. Say, Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done. So we call this an attitude of gratitude, and this is something that should develop and grow in, in us to the point that when we run into blessings, we can just say, Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for, for that. And you can't say it enough. If you've got a nice car, praise the Lord. If you have a nice home, you praise the Lord. If you have food in your cupboard and in your freezers, praise the Lord. Clothes on your back, praise the Lord. All of these are reasons to thank the king. So this says in verse 19, get up and go your way because your faith has made you whole. Now you run into something else here. Jesus didn't say to them that going to the synagogue made him whole or going to the temple 
made them whole. Jesus never said going to give an offering in the temple made them whole. He simply said their faith made them whole. Now, what did they believe? They believed what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Go and show yourself to the priest. They believed what he said. That faith in those words, in that statement is what brought recovery of health and restoration of health to them entirely. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. So as an example, then the Lord wants us to believe what his word says. Now we, we all have our own battles and the scripture tells us in Corinthians sometimes we have to cast down imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So here's the conflict. God says this, but then your imaginations and the devil is whispering in your ear saying the other. And you've got to you got to fight this battle. Do I hold on to the statements of God or do I meditate on what the adversary is saying? The scripture says you've got to cast down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If the Bible is the knowledge of God, if this contains God's will, his wisdom, all of his desires, if it's a wealth of information about the character of God and his attributes, if it teaches you everything you want to know about how to get to heaven from planet Earth, then that means that everything that speaks to you contrary to what this book says, you've got to cast it down. Even if it doesn't always make sense to you. You understand that? This is what this is what faith is. When he says your faith has made you whole, he's telling us, man, there's something invisible at work inside of you that caused you to believe my words. So the scripture says in Hebrews 11, by faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's Hebrews 11. And then Genesis one and one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews says, by faith, we understand that. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God. That means if, if, if this is what the text says, even if I'm looking at an article out of National Geographic, Smithsonian Magazine, some of these individuals who are the most brilliant minds on planet Earth, according to all secular understanding, I've got to make a choice now because here is some knowledge that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And they say you can't believe in anything you can't see. Well, Jesus told the disciples with Thomas, they're blessed are you because you see and believe. But think about how blessed those folks are who haven't not seen yet believe. Yeah. So I'm going to hold to the scripture as you should, regardless of what anybody says, because your faith is what's going to continue to cause you to be strong spiritually, mentally. You lose your faith in God. I'm telling you, you're, you're a prime candidate for a nervous breakdown, because if you follow the things of this world, you're going to be on a roller coaster. They can't make up their mind what's right and what's wrong. What's wrong today will be okay tomorrow. What's okay will be wrong. How do I know that? Look, the Supreme Court said gambling is fine now. Now, folks had already been gambling anyhow, you know, but I'm just saying for a long time it was wrong. But now the Supreme Court says it's okay. So here we have the fluctuation taking place one more time. And I'm telling you, it hasn't stopped. There in the years to come, you're going to see a landslide of stuff that's going to be legitimized and people say it's OK. The people who lived back in the 1880s and 1890s, they probably never thought there'd be an end to prohibition. But there is. And 
And you can go in many towns today and you can find a state liquor store. Yes. And then the psychologist will tell you alcoholism is a disease. Only disease I've ever seen in my life. You can buy in a bottle. See? Think about it. Well, if I maintain my faith in God, then I can expect that I'll be like this leper. God will be continually cleansing me, making me whole. Because everything about this culture is trying to defile me. It's trying to change my mind about God. It's trying to change my mind about what scripture teaches. But if I keep my faith in the statements of the word of God, then I can expect as I go on my way, I'll be made whole. Don't you think that's right? I think so. And if, if the Lord does that for us, that, that'll be a, a wonderful and a good thing. I think the last, last example I give you, this has more to do with a, a, another testimony, but there used to be a lady named Betty Baxter. Some of you may have heard of her, but back in the 50s, there were a lot of people traveling around with tents and preaching and stuff like that. And, and this lady, Betty Baxter, she had, she was born with, I don't know how many physical deformities and ailments, but I've heard her testimony myself. So I know what I'm giving to you is what I've heard from her but but all her life she spent in a wheelchair never able to look up she was looked down and her limbs were bent all in different directions had all all kind of problems in her spine and stuff like that well somehow or another because her mom was a christian and would read the bible to her this 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 young girl she she began well she might have been a teenager by then she she told everybody i had a vision or dream or something and she said, Jesus told me on such and such a day he's going to come and heal me and I'm going to get out of this wheelchair. And that's what she started telling her family and she started telling her friends. And of course, nobody was believing anything that she was saying. It was surely this little girl has kind of lost her mind. But she held on to that and even had her mama buy her a nice pretty dress about the size she thought she would be if she was totally healed. It had mama lay the dress out on the bed. Well, weeks passed, weeks passed. <clears throat> When it came time a few months later for that date to, to come, uh, there was such uh, so much noise about that through the neighborhood. The people had come to the house and were out in the yard. And this little lady, Betty Baxter, was in that, that home of hers. And she said while she was there, she saw uh, what looked like a dot, almost like a, say a, 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 not a ball of fire or something, but something glowing there, just kind of right there in the air. And she said that thing got bigger and said it got bigger and got bigger and said stepping out of that light was the Lord Jesus Christ and walked over there and laid his hands on her. And, and they said you could hear the bones popping all over the place as the young lady was being made whole. Now, she then... After she was made whole, she spent probably 20, 25 years maybe traveling America, giving her testimony on platforms all across this nation. Somebody would say, well, I'm, I'm not so sure God would do that. Well, whether you're sure about it or not, Betty is. Betty was, you see. And, and, and whether, whether I believed it or somebody else refused to believe it, Betty believed it every time she walked up on stage and had grabbed the microphone and started telling the story. So that's the, that's the key here. This person returned and gave glory to God. And by the time he was 
reunited with all of the uh, community and all the other citizens. When they asked the story about how the leprosy went away, he could tell the story and say, Jesus, we saw him and it was about 10 of us. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And suddenly as we were walking, I looked down and realized I had brand new skin. And I went back and said, thank you. And they could say, oh, no, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I mean, Elijah is dead. Samuel's dead. Ezekiel's dead. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. Well, that leper could say, I guess I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. See, I know what happens when he saves. You know what happens when he saves, because when he saves, he changes a life. The evidence of the new birth is a new life. And when the new life is no longer than the evidence of the new birth, we're back in the dark ages, folks. We are. We're back to where we believe just going to church makes us a Christian. But when God comes in, passion becomes a reality. That's what we had here. Okay, let's pray. Father, we're grateful this evening that we can look into the scripture. There's a lot to learn. But Lord, one thing we did learn from this leper is that we should return thanks to you. And Father, please forgive us today if we have failed to do so in the last few days. You blessed each one of us. We're so grateful for what we have. The families, the relationships, a place to study the word, people to teach us the word of God, and people with whom we can talk to. Lord, have your way in our life. Make each one of us a dynamic witness and Christian for you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen, Amen.